So I think there is a chance I could have been more emotionally invested in this movie and maybe like the the soundtrack being louder and being more absorbed in it would have made the the things that sounded like self-aware pretension feel more true. It's possible. But then again, I've watched a lot of pretentious crap on my TV at home and like <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 448 with our review of The Discovery. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over something. <laughs> over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, however, we decided we didn't want to see anything in theaters. And instead, we're doing a review of the Netflix original film, The Discovery. Um, yeah. Being that this is a film where the basic premise of it is that uh, there was this discovery in which uh, there is definitive proof that something happens after we die, uh, people decide to start killing themselves and try to get there, as uh, people will refer to it. Um, so my question to all of us here today is not, would you kill yourself being that oh captain uh, my captain <laughs> I, I, I don't want to know if you would kill yourself because i think we're all rational human beings but uh what i would like to know is if there was some sort of scientific discovery and uh, we had definitive proof of something happening after our bodies die uh would that change the way you live your days now hmm interesting and without spoiling the movie part like the movie that informed this question does this proof tell us anything about what happens after we die? Uh, at this point in time, no. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, all we know is that there is something that happens after we die that is observable by science. And we'll say it's been extrapolated a little more than maybe at the beginning of this film. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, let's just say that there's definitely something that happens after we die. Uh, how, how would that change your... Would you look forward to the after thing? Would your life here become less important? Uh, what, like, what, what would that knowledge do besides being an interesting thing? Um, so I think, and this is actually going to get into the plausibility of the movie, um, so we'll probably be talking about this again when we start the actual film review. I think it would not change very much until I had like definitive ideas about what it is that happens afterwards. Um, Let's say at least I knew that, like, my consciousness would still be around for, like, some reasonably long amount of time. Yeah. I think that would... I guess it, it would take away a little bit of the, like, impulse to, like, live every day to the fullest or whatever. Like, my my about time <laughs> factor <laughs> would, would go down a little bit because I would believe, like, oh, hey, there's still a sequel coming. There's still around two. Um but other than that, like, just general feeling of, like, hopefulness for the future that might, like, dampen the desire to do something crazy today because YOLO. Uh, <laughs> if, if it's YOLT, <laughs> um, <laughs> then, yeah, that, that might change a little bit. But other, otherwise, no, I don't think it would drastically alter my life. Is the last T twice? Yeah. Okay. Just, just making sure. I was like, wait a second. What does that even mean? Steve YOLT. Nice. <laughs> I dig it. Um, so, Carson, 
do things change for you or is it business as usual? I, you know, you should, uh, you should answer. Cause I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm thinking of what my answer would be. Yeah. I, I think for me, um, maybe it's my own insecurities ringing through, but it's like, I have no guarantee that whatever's next is anything better than what I have now. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, no matter how bad things got now, I wouldn't know what I was escaping to. So like it, it wouldn't like essentially I'm here as long as I can be right. <laughs> I'm still mm-hmm. trying to max out my time here, whether or not there's anything after this. And I think that regardless, they don't necessarily play into each other mm-hmm. enough for me to change anything now. Um, so I would kind of just be like, oh, interesting now I wonder what this thing is, but I, I wouldn't like I, I, I wouldn't kill myself or yeah. quit work or do anything like that because it's like, well, <laughs> I still want to not have life suck now. <laughs> so, yeah. so let me just pretend like I don't have that knowledge other than an interesting thought experiment. I, I mean, I think I was just realizing that this thought experiment has happened before <laughs> because, you know, not, not to get too personal, but like I, I grew up very hardcore certain of christianity and heaven and that lasted Mm. for a while i would say it was a certainty about on par with a scientific proof like pretty close yeah and i don't think the loss of that like drastically changed my life in in any way like i think the the way i approach living hasn't changed regardless of like the truth or falsity of that yeah so I don't know. There's something human that, like, no matter what, maybe it just means even if you do think you know what comes next, you're always going to live as if nothing happens next. Yeah. Because yeah, it's yeah. just, like, deeply rooted in you to, like, not die, <laughs> right? To stay alive. True. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Hu- humanly, you, like, they're, they're, for, for most of us, <laughs> there is a, a inherent desire to not have bad things happen to you and to prolong the long, long, your longevity on this planet and stuff like that. So, hmm. so yeah. Do you, do you have any more answer, Carson, or still hard uh, pass? I- no, I mean, I don't have a really good answer for this. Um, so I'm going to answer peripherally because um, there was something earlier this week that uh, piqued my curiosity. Um, I don't think it's really related to death. I mean, this is <laughs> this is jokingly. Um, but I would say in my situation, I would maybe say to you guys, like, kill me now. Uh, but I won't. I don't really mean it. Um, but but I feel so like this you is wouldn't something... kill yourself. But if somebody else could kill you. And get you yes. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, but this also allows me to to clear the air on a certain subject that I feel like is uh, increasingly prevalent in uh, in our discussions. And um, if anyone is listening, knows that um, you know I, I I give you guys a lot of crap because uh, you know you, you go to see movies sometimes at the Alamo Draft House. And, um, Chris was a taking a drink while you said that, by the way. <laughs> right. I was literally okay, taking good. a drink. Perfect timing. Um, is this your come to but, Jesus moment? <laughs> this is my come to... Yes, kind of. Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know. Uh, but, you see, I... This is, this, is my, uh, this is where I'm clearing the air because I have no problem with it. I actually... I'm down with, uh, with what they do. Uh, specifically, you know, they're, you know, they're very committed to, to movies, you know, and seeing movies like old and new and they've got like this cool distribution label and they're putting out cool movies and stuff. Um, but this is where my earlier this week, my curiosity got peaked was when I 
was listening to the Raw episode, and you guys were like, yeah, like, I ordered a pizza and a tea. And um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know what? You know, I haven't actually gone and looked at the menu at an Alamo draft house. <laughs> so I was like, let me go take a gander. And um, I, I looked at this menu, and, like, I legit... I think I gained 30 pounds. Like this is <laughs> this is an this is an insane menu, dude. Like I'm I'm like legit worried now that I'm gonna be channel surfing and I'm gonna see Chris and Steven on my six hundred pound life. And I'm just gonna be like, too many trips to the fat house, guys, which by the way is a new name that I'm uh, now calling uh that uh, when I was reading off this menu to Sarah, she was like, more like the Alamo fat house, am I right? I was like, I know, right? This is crazy. Um, it, it's only funny because I have gained a significant amount. Of <laughs> but but so like see see this is my thing is because like I just am not down at all with dining theaters so that's where I get lost on the whole like I'll never like that's where I get lost on the whole Alamo experience because I'm just like I do not want to get into like I am already distracted enough in movies where like people are breathing heavily. Um, so the, if 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 there's yeah, like a potential the that yeah, if there's a potential where like I'm gonna sit next to someone who ordered like a plate of deviled eggs like that, <laughs> take me to the afterlife right there, dude. Keep out the like devil, dude. afterlife, please. <laughs> so um, agreed. So for also, my but, first but, but Carson, the key is that you order immediately and you gobble it down in like the first 15 minutes of the movie so that way you just enjoy the rest of the film without having to deal with the food but it doesn't but it doesn't matter dude that's still distracting like to to eat like these big meals um or these really smelly meals during a movie um because that was my other question was like how bad do these theaters smell because like not only is there like deviled eggs, there's like chicken liver mousse and like roasted cauliflower and like kimchi popcorn. Yeah, but hardly anyone gets those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, only, only but our there's friend a Alex potential. Gets deviled eggs the <laughs> there's, there's a potential for this to happen, um, and I would say that uh, I, I there's a possibility that you know you could die from the the farty fumes of the inhalation. Uh, that would that would be my take me now is that like if I'm stuck in a theater. <laughs> And I looked at the photos on Yelp. Like, I've never been, but those theaters look very... You are very close to people. And if I'm that close to someone eating a gross meal, like, that, that I would I would leave. Like, that would be my take-me-out moment because, uh, yeah. And then I saw there was a picture of a guy's receipt, and he, he spent, like, 60 bucks. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it, like, this is a racket. In, in all fairness, it's usually around 30 with tip. Oh man, dude. But like, okay, that's a, but anyway, I, that was just my, I, I was just, I was so, I went down the rabbit hole. Like that's what I, I must've spent like a good hour. Like just so just in wonderment. It was uh it was pretty, pretty fascinating experience. Um, and also I laughed because before I had even looked at the menu, I like jokingly said like, Oh yeah, like they were talking about ordering. Like I'm gonna let me, let me go see what's on this menu. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like Chris ordered a pizza or something. Like what do they got? Like prosciutto and fig or some shit. <laughs> and sure enough, that's one of the options. They sure do. I was like, uh, my Holy pizza sh-. was fennel and sausage. By the way, I got oh, the prosciutto you got, and fig. Oh okay, but I was I was like, damn, I nailed that. I nailed that topping. Woo. <laughs> I was like, um, I'd be the guy who goes to the draft to the fat house and be like. Uh, can I just order a plain cheese pizza, please? And they're like, I'm sorry, we only have, uh, like, rich and richer flavors. 
Um, well, good times. So. So I, just had, I, had to, I had to share that little bit because I definitely, I, I lost my, I went down the rabbit hole, like I said. I was, I really fell hard. I took a deep dive into the, uh, into the, the menu of Alamo Draft House, and it, uh, it was a enlightening experience, that's for sure. I, I was like 90% sure you were about to like come out as like hardcore evangelical Christian. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, exactly. You guys, I'm no longer swearing. <laughs> <laughs> I have proclaimed and don't eat my devil love. Eggs or anything <laughs> sinful. Don't eat nachos because they're too pointy. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's All right. a cross like. All right. Well, should we get into this film? All right. Uh, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for The Discovery, and then we're going to come back and give you guys a full review. Dr. Harper, why did it take you six months to address us? Where have you been? It seems to me that I, I invite you here to my home. We only received that invitation after the suicide toll had rapidly reached a million. Don't you think your discovery was just too dangerous to share with the world? Isla! you keep a discovery so vital to our existence a secret you prove the existence of an afterlife I prefer to call it a new plane of existence do you feel responsible for all those people killing themselves open the door for these people now we have to show them what's behind it all right so as we discussed at the top of this episode um basically just gonna lay out the premise again for the film or the premise for the universe of the film and then we'll get into the review and we're definitely gonna have to talk about spoilers uh, towards or after the initial segment because i think it's hard to talk about this film without spoilers but basically the discovery takes place um in a world this world where the discovery has been made that there is something that we can perceive happening after the body dies that is theoretically the spirit or something, right? Uh, we have definitive proof that there is some sort of afterlife and uh, the rest of the story plays out um, in the time following that premise. And in this world, this knowledge has cost, uh, caused above 4 million people to just commit suicide to attempt to reach the afterlife. So let's start with Stephen. Um, unless Carson's ready to start going first again. Oh, I, I don't care. All right, Stephen. What did you think of the discovery? So when in uh, Charlie McDowell's last movie, if it wasn't his first movie, it was the first that I had heard of, at least uh, the one I love. Uh, I 
gave that a runner-up in my Take the Premise and Run award that year, which was the idea of a movie that like just takes like a brilliant premise. Like the elevator pitch alone is already amazing, and then just like lets it unravel. Um, I think this would be the take the premise and mostly squander it award. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is I think I think this has a very, very interesting elevator pitch. Like the idea of this movie, what if a scientist proved the existence of the afterlife? What would happen? What would be like the moral culpability? Does it inspire hope in people? What does that mean about how we treat death? Like th- these are all really cool ideas. Yeah. Um, and it was like, Accompanied by, for the most part, pretty well done filmmaking, I thought. Like, shots were framed nicely and the tone was built well. And, like, it it, it was a fine-looking movie. Uh, but there was just something about the way they told the story. And you could tell from, like, the first few seconds of the movie how it was going to be. It was all telling and no showing. It was like a, a massive exposition dump of a movie where it's just like, all right, and five, four, three, two... One, I'm Robert Redford. I'm going to tell you everything we learned. Someone else is going to ask me all the moral quandaries of it. I'm going to say how I feel about it. And next scene. And it was just like, it, it just, it, it was a movie that it, it felt like it did not trust the audience enough. Like it wanted to hold our hand through so many twists and turns, even when the twists and turns were fairly predictable. And it's kind of hard to dance around that without going into spoilers. So I, I assume this is going to be like a short non-spoiler review followed by a spoilery yeah. uh, discussion. Um, but I don't know. There was there was just something about this movie where it it definitely had the cadence of films I like better. Like it had a lot of Charlie Charlie Kaufman esque vibes in this movie. Like the the meat cute and everything is very Eternal Sunshine. And then a it lot was of literally the opening yeah. to Eternal Sunshine. Like exactly. Yes. And like that, girl with dyed hair yeah. being super quirky, talking too fast. Like I was like, in like holy an empty, shit. Yeah. In in yeah. an empty vehicle. And by the time the film ends, yes, the comparisons get even more obvious. Yeah. Like there. it just gets more. Um, but there was more to it, too. Like, I also got some being John Malkovich in the kind of wide-angle interior shots, the way, like, there there are moments where Jason Siegel is walking through a hallway, and there's kind of, like, quirky music playing, and, like, he's rounding the corners, and you can see everything in kind of, like, a wide blur. Um, it, it definitely was playing with a lot of that same aesthetic, and I don't, I don't know if I would say it was ripping off, but it certainly was, like, a fan of those kinds of movies trying to make a contribution. Um, it's just... That comparison did not do do any good for it because, like, the work of Charlie Kaufman, I feel like, does such a great job of taking an interesting idea and then unraveling it in a way where the audience is kind of wondering, like, what the hell is going on? And by the end, it maybe matches together, but it it never insults the intelligence of the viewer. Um, and in this movie, I never had a feeling of what the hell is going on. I more felt like, why the hell are they telling me everything and when is a more interesting twist going to happen? And the interesting twist just mostly never came. Like, characters were very well established at the beginning, and they just kind of fulfilled their preconceived roles and then left. Um, not not that I put much stock in this, but I, like, I out loud called, like, pretty much 80% of the twists in this movie, like, within the first 30 minutes. <laughs> like, Rooney Mara, this is her character. This is how she and Jason Siegel might relate by the end. All these things that I can mention in spoilers. But... I don't know. It was a weird thing where I wanted to like this movie because I like the conversation it provokes. Like, I like the ideas it was delving into. And I thought it, like, it wasn't afraid to reach for kind of big top shelf concepts and treat them seriously. But it just felt, it felt like it was taking itself way too seriously. And it did not take the audience seriously enough. 
And some of that has to do with Jason Siegel as a lead, I think, because he... I loved him as David Foster Wallace in the end of the tour. He was tour. playing the same character. Yeah, he's basically playing the same character, but here it it just he looked like someone who was like trying to make his role be very profound and serious. And then the director kind of throws in other characters to add like comic beats into the movie every once in a while for no clear reason. And that juxtaposition that just didn't I don't know, tonally I just didn't understand what this movie was going for. So I don't know, interesting premise. Not a great execution. Frustrating because I, I kind of wanted more from this than what I got. Carson Patrick, do you feel uh, the same way? Do you like it better or worse? What, what say you? Uh, well, <clears throat> I remember when we reviewed the one I love, uh, probably uh, my uh, number two favorite spoiler warning moment is when uh, Chris had to kind of angrily admit that uh, I nonchalantly recommended his favorite movie of the year. <laughs> um, and the number one moment, obviously, being when uh, Stephen and I reviewed Saving Christmas, um, <laughs> which, by the way, slight tangent, um, I don't know what compelled me, but uh, I was just not having a great day, and I, for some, reason, for, I for some reason, went... <laughs> Went back and listened to that okay. review that we did that before uh, was before the theory of everything, and uh, I'll tell you that uh, that's a that's a day brightener right there. That's I think is the best. I should have just we should have I personally should have just ended right there, but like podcasting over. I, this <laughs> review drop can't your get mic off the table. Go to a draft house. <laughs> that should have been a drop the mic moment because eat uh, a prosciutto fig pizza and then blow your brains out. <laughs> I should have, yeah, because that was, uh, I don't think it gets any better than that one. Um, but um, I, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm kind of shocked because uh, I, uh, I actually thought this, I actually enjoyed this movie better than the one I love. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, I was looking forward to watching it because I was a big fan of, of that movie and I thought that it was a really uh, strong debut and, um, I was thinking that this one, you know, had a really great premise and, um, but it, it kind of seemed a little bleaker and stuff, but, uh, I mean, Steven was saying that it was, that it was kind of serious, but I was su actually surprised by how, by how funny it was. Like it, it does have a pretty light tone to it. Um, there's like a lot of really funny moments in this. Like I thought Jesse Plemons character alone was like bringing the comedy. <laughs> I just um, thought he was the only one. <laughs> But I mean, I thought Jason Siegel, like his their kind of interactions, uh, were funny, and I thought that I thought that Jason Siegel was a was a good dramatic lead. Um, I actually like the cast of this movie is what I thought was a was one of the reasons why I really liked it. It was like such a randomly awesome cast that you have all these you know Jason Siegel was the lead. Like I like that they you know they didn't cast someone that you'd normally think of in that part and um i thought that him and rooney mara had had really good chemistry and um their interactions were were cool and um i actually didn't there is a lot of explaining about like what they're doing and stuff but like to me it never came off as as like annoying and like the you know in a lot of the the way it comes off and like you know, these big, big budget movies, like, you know, we were just talking about it last week with Ghost in the Shell. Like, it didn't come off that way to me. 
Um, I actually thought there was a lot of of just good character interactions um, that wasn't related to kind of what they were doing. Um, it's funny because like I saw I saw a review after I'd watched the movie that said that you know it basically it said what's kind of what Steven said where it squandered this great premise by like introducing it in the very beginning and then kind of just like shying away from it and focusing more on like these characters. Um, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that they, they had this great idea and it is a great idea. Um, and they, they kind of just put it in the background. Like they didn't really go too much into it, but I, and I I like that, you know, they didn't do that because it kind of just made you, it made you think more and made you kind of like fill in the gaps yourself and, and, and wonder, you know, like, oh, like how is this really, I mean, they, they give you kind of some clues as to, to how it's a, you know, how it is like widespread, um, but I like that the, the scope of it was just contained to this, this family basically. Um, and I like the, I like the look, I like the, you know, visuals were great. I like that, that weird, uh, it looked like they were in like a, like a Gothic mansion. Uh, the, the one from like, the lobster, I think the, the hotel yeah, and the lobster is the same building. Yeah, it I kinda, always felt like it, it. I don't know if it is. It kind of <laughs> looked like that. Yeah. Apparently it was some, some hospital in Rhode Island is where they, where they filmed this. Um, but yeah, it had the, had like those same vibes, which I thought were, were cool. Um, and you know, like the, I, you know, I, I definitely get the, the, uh, you know, like the Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones vibes. Uh, but I never really like cued into that. Like I, I, I thought that this was a pretty, it was, it, it felt, it felt, you know, singular to Charlie McDowell. Like, I feel like, you know, since one I love also had, it was kind of dealing with these heavy themes, but also had like a, a light touch to it. And this, this was the same way. It definitely felt like it was from the same filmmaker. What it didn't feel like a, a complete departure or ripoff or anything. Uh, so I, I really liked it. I, I actually like the more I thought about it after I watched it, uh, the more I, I, I liked it. Um, so yeah. I, I should mention I only had like two hours to think about it before <laughs> reviewing this. Before so. reviewing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so for me, um, I th- watching this film, there was a lot going through my head. I mean, this film, it does feel like a blender. You take all these films that I either love or care a lot about watching it, you know, Eternal Sunshine, um, Arrival, <laughs> like a bunch of these things where the stories are all sort of melding together but it doesn't feel like this is a remake of any one thing. It just t- feels like a bunch of ideas put together. And um, w- while it's not perfect, and there were definitely moments where I'm like, what the fuck? Is, like, mm-hmm. why is this the thing that makes sense? Uh, there's a lot of things in the film that, that make me question the the quality of of the overall narrative. But this is definitely a film that when it ended if I stood back and watched, looked at it as a whole, I really, really liked. Um, it is, it's, the the premise that you guys say is squandered is only That squa- I say is squandered. Well, that, well, that, well sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. That, that, that Stephen and some people that Carson read and yeah. spoke towards. Probably Armand White. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but everything's squandered with Armand White. Um, 
But yeah, yeah. So so the premise that is is that Stephen says is squandered is squandered because that's not the premise. <laughs> that is the backdrop for this story. Um, that is it, it, the the hey, we have discovered that there is is an afterlife is the equivalent to in Children of Men. Hey, babies aren't being born anymore. Mm-hmm. Like nobody cares why babies aren't being born anymore in Children of Men. The story is something else completely, right? And I feel that while these films aren't related in any way, I just feel that that's a similar type of, of, of setup, right? Like the fact that we have detected something after we die is simply the backdrop that sets the story in motion. And where it goes on its own while it is telegraphed and like there there is a scene in the film where a character is looking at a monitor and I assumed correctly to some degree, what that monitor represented. Mm-hmm. Um, but it meant much more than I assumed. And I think that this film sticks the landing with what its true premise actually is in that that idea is extremely compelling. And I think while the film as a whole isn't something that you can have long dialogues about, it is something that you can have that question like, Wow, like, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? And you can have a short conversation about it. And I think it's just, it's, it's it, the emotions of this film stick the landing perfectly. The story beats in the center of the film maybe squander the initial premise a little bit, but I think that it does exactly what it sets out to do. And that worked for me on a very, very deep level. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, not even sparing the fact that the leads, I think, are fantastic people, and I love them, both of them. Uh, uh, you know, Jason Siegel and Rooney Mara, like, yeah. put them in everything, and I will watch all of it, and it'll be super great and awesome. Um, it, it's a film that I, I, I really, really enjoyed, and I don't think, I, well, I know it's not going to be the one I would love level, right? Like, it's not going to be in my top number one of the, of the year, but it is one in a year like we had last year where I have difficulty making out my list, it definitely has the ability to take that place like predestination does Mm -hmm. where the concept it's working with far outseeds any of the flaws that the film does have. Um, I I was guessing this might be your predestination of the year. (laughs) (laughs) This is a much better movie than that. (laughs) Oh, no, no, this is like a real movie. Predestination is like a student film that is based off a really interesting book or short story. (laughs) Um, This is like a real movie, right? You know, um, uh, I I love that it doesn't bother going into the science, right? When Robert Redford's character is trying to show off everything he, he has... He's not showing like he's not giving a TED talk where he explains how like he made this crazy discovery. He's just saying like it's definitive, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't question this. I'm not going to tell you how it works. Isn't it incredible? And it's like I'm fine with the the writers not bothering to explain how it works because the characters themselves don't really know exactly what's going on, right? Like this isn't a story about the discovery. This is a story post the discovery. And I, I appreciate that. I see the times where it feels like it's cheating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the the you know half of me is like fuck you movie. You don't actually know how any of this works. You can't just like skate by that. And half of me is like I don't even care because I really like what you're doing. And I I yeah I I, I had I, I enjoyed it a lot. 
lots of questions as far as like why this would even work in the universe they presented certain elements of it but i think on the whole what it's going for in the story it's trying to tell is done well enough that i was very happy also it should be noted that i did also watch your name this this week um and without being spoilery there are some themes that overlap between those two stories Mm -hmm. so watching a very very interesting Japanese film um, that is just very, very joyous type of story watching these these characters interact and then seeing some of those themes translated into actor an actor and an actress that I love telling a story that is somewhat similar in very, very uh, abstract ways. Like, I think seeing your name the night before I watched The Discovery helped elevate the discovery possibly um so i'll, I'll admit that but i did, it, it was it was a very interesting watching experience and i was happy when the movie was over like i was like okay got a little got a little misty <laughs> felt, felt some good good vibes from it and uh yeah it worked for me that's yeah. that's what i can say well well i'm i'm glad to hear that and i don't i don't want to take anything away from the film i actually so Aaron can vouch for this. He watched it with me today. Uh, I predicted right off the bat that Carson was going to like it. Chris, I didn't know <laughs> because I think the schnazy side of you that wants the world building to be fully formed would have a lot of like arrival type issues with this movie. Yeah. Um, but like, I, like I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, I like, I definitely like what they were going for. I just, when we get into spoilers, I can get into more specific things. And like Carson knows, for me, it isn't really world building. It's more like if I if I feel like the emotional truth of it wasn't coming out right. And I felt like some of the ways characters behaved and the way they tried to make exposition come out felt, it felt like they were telegraphing things that would happen in a movie about this, but they didn't fill in the middle enough to actually motivate why they acted the way they acted. And, and that's why I started to feel like this was a movie that like really wanted to get to a place and didn't care that much about how it got there. Interesting. Cause I think the emotion is stronger than the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so to hear that you think the narrative was not, or sorry, that, that the emotion w- rang false or didn't quite. The, the emotion of the film rang true. The emotions the characters are going through that causes them to do certain things that I didn't follow for the most part. But anyway, I, I think with spoilers, yeah, yeah, it'd yeah, be we'll, easier we'll to talk about. Yeah. Cause I think, I think the characters versus people in this world yeah <laughs> i would for sure agree with yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i mean uh carson do you have any thoughts before spoilers any more thoughts uh, no other than i i also did think that there would be an arrival scenario where there'd be a war of two schnazies <laughs> um like a oh i love it but i have to address these things i can't let them go like that kind of but yeah that was my only thing. And uh, yeah, I do want to see your name, though. That looks pretty dope. It's, um, it's great. You should see it. Yeah, I want to also. I, 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 I definitely will see it. Um, too busy watching really great cinematic stuff like Gifted. Uh, <laughs> Mark Webb, what happened, man? Come back. Uh, anyway. That's the one with uh, Chris What's-His-Nuts has like a really smart daughter, right? Is that that movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got a smart ass daughter. Well, one uh, one filmic comparison that I feel like I can make without spoilers 
that I think Carson and Chris might have very different opinions about is this movie kind of reminded me a lot of Comet uh, in the sense that I thought it was a movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a movie that was like more ambitious in its ideas than it necessarily was in its capability of making a narrative. And it has some like emotional truth that maybe borrows from other movies, but gives like visuals about the human experience that work very well. But then like the way it's made also makes me want to like hold back and not want to fully love it. And for Comet, it tipped it in the other scale, maybe because just romantic things work for me better. Like I put those on a lower bar because like the emotional weight of a romance is so easy for me to just like understand without being told too much. Yeah. yeah. Whereas life or death things feel more like grand philosophic posturing to me unless they're really well done. But anyway, I thought it was like an interesting comparison. I know Carson did not like Comet, and I think Chris did I, like it. Well, yeah, so, this was so, way better than Comet. So let let me let me ask this, which is in the same line. So um, backing up just for a tiny bit of context, uh, Stephen and I went and saw Back to the Future in thirty five millimeter at Alamo Drinkhouse slash Fat House slash Fart House slash all those things um, last week. <laughs> and House, yeah. What, one one of the things uh, you know I was saying leaving was like. That film is so much better than I've ever realized it was seeing it on the big screen and, uh, you know, whatever, in 35 millimeter too. Um, But it it was like seeing it in that format in a theater as a full grown adult male. um, It was kind of a different experience watching Mm -hmm. it. And one of the things I I, um, like we we were having a conversation about, Stephen, um, is that like. That experience really, really proved to me why you should only ever watch movies in theaters. <laughs> like seeing a film at home. I know this is like it sounds like I'm preaching to the choir, and this sounds like a stupid statement, but like there is a huge difference between seeing a film in a theater and watching it at home. So my question, coming back to your statements just a moment ago, Stephen, and like kind of bringing those two experiences together, is do you think this film would I mean, you already have problems with it now, but the question is, would I like it far less? Would its problems be more outrageous in the theater experience where like I'm it's it's it has to do like the theater is such a stronger watching experience. Did I elevate it? Like you were saying, romantic films kind of get a get a lower bar to pass. Is the watching it at home giving it a lower bar to pass potentially than if this would have been? An arrival. Would I've been more against mm. it having seen it in the theater? I mean, you can't answer for me, obviously, yeah. but like I'm, I'm just I'm well, trying that, that, to. Well, that, that's interesting because you're framing it like you're taking it where I was going to take the question, and then like going one step ahead and reversing it. Like I was going to say, <laughs> like, would it have benefited from a big screen experience? Yeah. And for me, I think it would have at least a bit, right? Because I would just in general, like watching a movie on my couch at like 3 p.m. is very different from going to a movie theater where it's dark and seeing it on the big screen. Yeah. Um. So I think there is a chance I could have been more emotionally invested in this movie and maybe like the the soundtrack being louder and being more absorbed in it would have made the the things that sounded like self-aware pretension feel more true. It's possible. But then again, I've watched a lot of pretentious crap on my TV at home and like <laughs> I'm usually I'm totally fine with it. Like I I haven't really noticed a big bump. I think for me seeing a movie in theaters is almost more important when it is like a movie that is already great, like Back yeah. to the Future, because the big screen gave us a chance to notice like Doc Brown overacting in the background in every scene, or like all these things that you maybe don't notice in a small setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So I don't think it would have drastically altered it. It would have given it a bump for me, probably. I don't upward? know. Yeah, an, yeah. an upward bump. Um, I, I don't know what's going on in your head with like the lowering of bars and the, no, all I, the levers and pulleys that you're working with. <laughs> I guess like what, what I'm working with is the experience of like I was able to be like, oh, I guess I'll watch it now and just click mm-hmm. a button and it's streaming on my TV and I'm watching it and like laying down <laughs> and yeah. like sitting up and like have a blanket on and like I'm consuming it in this. It was like, a snuggie. Come on. Let's be <laughs> honest. It was a snuggie. <laughs> I was e- I was eating a pint of ice cream with my hand and crying <laughs> oh, to <yes>. myself. <laughs> um, like it, it's I don't know. There's something about like being alone in your empty apartment, like with a blanket in a couch, laying down, consuming a film of this type, and being sitting in a theater with other people. And like, there's something about like choosing a time, needing to be there at a time, watching a time, and giving it your full undivided attention, minus the beer slash breakfast burger mm. <laughs> or pizza um but i, I, I don't know I, I i it's 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 a complicated thought that i'm wrestling with of like would i have been harsher on the film having seen it in a theatrical experience mm-hmm. versus being at home and sort of allowing it to forcefully take my attention rather than it previously having my full undivided attention like you know what i mean like the, right, well right so the things that feel more like filler don't matter to you as much at home because you don't feel like every moment has to be like important or great yeah yeah yeah. i I mean i would definitely say like so two data points there one comet benefited from that for me i bet you almost anything if i watched comet in theaters i would not have liked it nearly as much as i did like sitting at home with a significant other being able to like you know talk in between sometimes and feel like you're not missing that much and just like take in the feeling of the movie and not really care so much about the narrative um Another data point is I feel confident I would have liked this movie more on a plane because this is the kind of movie <laughs> like... Um, so I could jump the fuck out of it. Yeah, This, this is the kind of movie like uh, the Beach Boys movie whose name is escaping me now. Um, <laughs> Love and Mercy. Yeah, l- yeah, like Love and Mercy where I feel like the emotional Dad weight rock. of it would have like hit me way harder if I was like alone in the dark with headphones fearing for my life in the sky. The Beach Boys movie. You're talking about the the prequel to Prisoners. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm actually talking about Baywatch. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. I see what you did there. It's gonna be classic. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> uh, should we should we do the spoiler things, guys? Yeah, I think so. I'm so glad we picked a silly movie this week and not something serious like The Boss Baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could have handled Boss Baby. Uh, CG babies are for closers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in a moment, we are going to get into spoilers. But before we do that, we should give everybody who hasn't seen the film yet a verdict. So, Stephen Miller... If you're going to give this a must-see, a record with a caveat, a wait for rental, a pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm giving it a pretty strong wait for rental in the sense that I think this is a good... <laughs> it's only available on rental. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Beyond that technicality, this I give is, it a must-rent. <laughs> this is a good rent-type situation. I feel like sitting and watching it with another person and being able to discuss it afterwards, this is the kind of movie that does very well there. And I don't think it's a perfect movie, and I had problems with it throughout but it definitely is the kind of movie that if you stumbled upon it i think you would be glad that you watched it like if nothing else it's more interesting than most things you're going to randomly find on netflix so yeah and it's free so just just rent it come on yeah 
Carson Patrick. Uh, I would give it a must-see. Um, I think that it's uh, completely worth seeing. Uh, I wish it kind of. I wish it had gotten a theatrical release. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's I. For some of these movies that go straight to VOD or mostly VOD, like yeah, like I always wish that yeah, you know, it's always always better to see it in the theater. But um, you know, sometimes. Yeah, that's fine if you, you know, the Netflix is picking up good content and stuff. Like, I'm fine with that. Like, I, um, yeah, like, I, I think it's totally worth seeing, especially if you're a fan of the one I love. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see whatever he does next, that's for sure. Yep. Um, I will give this a for me. I'm very glad I saw it. It's it's a Chris recommend or sorry, it's a Chris must see. It is probably a recommend with a caveat in that I don't know that everybody will enjoy it as much as I did. Um, so I'm like, I'm 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 it's it's a timid must see for me. I guess is is go, what I'm saying. Just go fortunately. Yeah, I, I can fight this war alone. I don't need your help. <laughs> It's a uh, must see. Yeah, and and I will say this: I watched two two Netflix originals uh, this weekend. One was the Discovery, and the other one was the film that I can never accurately name the title because I forget exactly what it is. But it's that I don't feel all right. Something about in this world. Oh uh, yeah, yes. Uh, and I like this much more than I like that. Um, I feel like Carson probably loved that other movie. If you watched I, it, I I did not. Oh really? It it just no. seems like a movie where like I'm constantly going like, what the fuck? And I'm like, Carson must love this. Well, you know, I, 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 dude, I don't know. I mean, I can't get on that, like, the Jeremy Saulnier making Blair wave. Like, whatever they've gotten into that groove now, like, something about it. It's not bad. It wasn't a bad movie. Um, I think I like that one a little better than Green Room. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> something about it, like, it just wasn't clicking all the way. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed watching that. Don't get me wrong. I just, I would, if I could only see, if I could only have seen one of the two I would 100% yeah. see the discovery uh, over that one. But luckily for everyone, it's all Netflix. You can stream it. Go watch it. Uh, them, yeah. I should say. Um, but yeah, so that is our verdicts for the discovery. Um, we are going to take a short break while the music fades in and then back out. And then we are going to discover some spoilers. Okay, we are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after section of our review. We are going to be talking full spoilers for the discovery. So if you haven't seen the film yet, you have been warned. Excuse me. All right. So hey, we're warned. <laughs> yep, that was my what? warning. I guess we'll let we'll let Stephen rip the film apart <laughs> a little more, and then maybe we'll discuss some more themes of the of the film. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have any desire to rip. The <laughs> don't film walk it apart. back now, Stephen. But, but okay, so I'll start with just the broad picture because Chris, mm. you claimed that the stated premise of the movie is not the point of the movie. Like the Correct. the reason for the film's existence is not that. So that the premise of the movie is scientists have discovered an afterlife. That discovery is causing millions of people to commit suicide a scientist is feeling the weight of that and trying to grapple with it. And now they're trying to discover more. 
So one problem for me right away, and this might just totally be me in the mood that I was in. It might be my brain. But I didn't even buy that premise. I didn't buy with how little they know that anyone would be like, oh, well, uh, the soul goes somewhere, so I'm going to kill myself. Like, you don't know anything about where the soul goes after that. Like, you, the soul might yeah. be going into, like, a giant, like, puff of smoke somewhere, right? Like, Yeah, the, the exact thing that Robert Redford says is we detect brainwaves mm-hmm. exiting the body is what he says so essentially something emanating from the husk the the shell if you will mm-hmm. <laughs> to pull it back to films we recently re- <laughs> reviewed some like basically what he says is we detect outside the body a transmission of sort of brainwaves that match the person who existed before the body died right mm-hmm. which I, I, i'm extract i'm saying way more than yeah, he you're already said. doing a better job yeah but basically robert river says is like hey when you die, we detect something existing after you. We don't know where it goes. We don't know what it do- does. We really know fuck all. But there it is. And then people start killing themselves. That yeah. is a huge hole. I cannot rationalize it at all. And I think it's the giant leap you have to make to accept this film. Mm-hmm. And I sort of said, I'm just going to pretend like that's not an issue <laughs> yeah, and i mean i understand that and I'm, I'm usually not one again to claire about a plot hole it's just that that kept me from feeling the weight of the movie because yeah, the yeah. whole time when characters were talking about how impactful the discovery was i just kept feeling like no like this next thing they discover the thing they're trying to do which is like learn what happens that would maybe be the thing that could be the beginning of this movie for characters to behave the way they behave yeah yeah, um, yeah. And so that that was just kind of like a mental a mental block that I struggled with already. And then so it delves in. There's the meet cute uh, between Jason Siegel and Rooney Mara. Very eternal sunshine with like little little hints of Elizabeth Town. She's like, I never met Nyla. I didn't like you know, there's, there's, there's a whole quirky name conversation. Um, I, I will I will say, too, that as that started, it completely took me out of the out of the movie. Like I was like, all right quirky girl with dyed hair is like main character doesn't know how he got on the boat and is like very intrigued with her Mm -hmm. i was like fuck this movie yeah and by the end of it i was like i love rooney mara (laughs) so anyway so 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 talking about the talking about the emotional truths of the characters like that meet cute should be something where i believe what is happening and i'm not talking about chemistry like i agree with everyone i think they have nice on-screen chemistry together yeah but that conversation basically happens with jason siegel being like I'm a scientist and I don't believe what is happening here. And then Rooney Mara's like, well, I'm quirky. Well, everything sounds dumb if you say it in those voices. Steven. I'm quirky and I believe what happens there. And I, I, there was just something about the flow of it and the way they interact, followed by the like almost immediate suicide attempt by Rooney Mara and the way Jason Siegel intervenes, that it, it, it just felt to me like a movie that knew what it wanted the characters to be, but it didn't actually know how to make characters that would... I just didn't believe but any of that I, I only saw them as like spark notes of like what would happen in a grand uh emotional film is they would meet he's gonna be the son and she's gonna be someone i predicted right away that she had a kid die like right away i mean um, you you knew somebody died yeah, yeah, yeah. just whether it was like a family member a brother like it could have been you know like a personal shopper style oh, I right? also, around the time i predicted the kid died is when i predicted that he's dreaming of waves because he's gonna come back and like save her like so 
This guy called it like way early on in the movie. Really? So yeah. you so you 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 knew ahead of time. Yeah, that he Aaron was can somehow... testify. I ruined the movie for him. Um. <laughs> what a dick! What a dick! <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It was just all of the characters were like that to me. Like Robert Redford's character too. He like he was filling a role of I am the scientist who is like like at all costs I am going to try to learn this thing. But I didn't like believe that he's a person who's doing that. I just believed he's playing the role of like I'm the character who's going to get to fly too close to the sun, right? Yeah. And it all just felt like that to me. It felt like an interesting idea that just every twist it took didn't the the way he treats that girl. I knew it meant she was either going to kill herself or someone else at the end, and I couldn't understand why a rational human would have acted that way towards her. The way Jason Siegel and Rooney Mara are like. Jason Siegel's totally against this and then cut to he's in the hospital stealing a corpse with Rooney Mara. Like there were just so many things that I didn't I did not buy characters behaving that way. And it I didn't like it because I like I like where the movie went and the ideas it delved. It just well, felt like it couldn't find a vehicle of real people doing any yeah, of it. Yeah, okay. So if I can walk you back just for a second. Mm-hmm. He has this literal love-hate relationship with his father, right? He his mother killed herself because her fa- his father was married to his work, and which and we know because he says that like out loud, word for word. Yeah, but that, that's that's yeah. that's not something we could be shown unless it's a flashback, which arguably would be much worse than him saying it, right? Mm. Um, so, in the previous scene, he, I mean, Jason Siegel's a neurologist, which you can you can you know reject. Uh, that's fine, okay. But either way, his character is a neurologist, and. What we know is that Robert Redford has been doing this Flatliners thing, another movie the film <laughs> shares a lot of things with. And yeah. he says, like, hey, come look at these, like, MRIs or whatever we have, right, scans of, of your father's head. And, like, basically they come to the conclusion that if he does this deep dive again, <laughs> then uh, unless he's encrypted, mm-hmm. he's basically going to fry his brain and die, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like. Also, he's hella old. <laughs> also, he's hella old. That's true. Yeah. Um, so Jason Siegel in this very small town is fine stealing a John Doe for this experiment, not because he wants to go out corpse stealing. It's because specifically because he knows his father's crazy enough that he's going to kill himself doing this stupid experiment that he already doesn't believe in. So for him, also the Rooney Mara factor. I would probably steal a corpse if Rooney Mara was trying to convince me to do it as well. If you're listening, Rooney, that's an open invitation. <laughs> if you're listening, Rooney, that is an open invitation. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If I meet you on a boat with uh, colored hair, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, that was not a fuck her in the context of the movie. It was fuck the writers for doing that scene. Yeah, but I know, but... Contextually, the scene works for me because... I'm not the spoiler man that Steven is. And I didn't immediately go like, wait, let me try to guess what the waves mean right now. <laughs> it didn't happen like, yeah. that Literally, second. it's it the opening of the film. Let me try to outsmart yeah. this movie, that, bro. That reminds me that there, one, of the, one of the episodes of the six episodes of season three of Black Mirror, just from the title of the episode and the, the image in Netflix next to it, without even reading the description, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is like that short film that I saw online like years ago. And then I watched it and I was like, it's literally, <laughs> it's literally the same thing as the short film. So I've been there too, but I, I, like I do. Just like Shutter Island. 
Huh? <laughs> just like, like, like Shutter Island. But, but it does actually beg the question of if you would have not made that guess at that point in time, would you have felt different, differently by the end of the film than you did making that sure. assumption going on? So, so that's part of So that might lead me to the big middle of the film and what, what would make me kind of argue that the movie is mostly trying to do exactly what it claimed it was trying to do, which is flesh out this idea of discovering there's an afterlife and what that would do to people. Because, so, because so, the main thrust of the middle of this movie, if you ignore just the character dynamics, and again, I mostly would because I feel like the characters are just vehicles to get, get to this place where everyone is sitting in this room and is seeing the video footage of the corpse going through the hospital and then later the video footage of uh, Robert Redford trying to take back the mistake in his life. Yeah. Like if you, like the whole movie is centered around these big moments. So I would say the movie is very much about the idea of discovering what is in the afterlife and the hope that that might give to people. But okay. So, so let me, let me phrase it in a different way that, uh, so I haven't actually watched the leftovers, but I assume it's related to the rapture. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I'm going to assume it's something to do with Justin Thoreau's abs. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, super ripped in the posters. <laughs> okay, cool. But anyways, so, so, so in that story, assuming that it is related to the rapture, the, the story is not about the fact that the rapture takes place. The story is about the people who are left on the earth, the leftovers after the rapture happens, right? So it's a story of how people react and behave given that they have knowledge that something happens and took, like, a section of the population. This film's apparent premise is the same. Four million people are suddenly gone from the planet Mm -hmm. because of something that happened, right? That is the premise. And in theory, it is what do these people who are left alive do in the wake of all these people who have committed suicide due to one scientific discovery? And that is the premise. But what the premise actually is, is this concept that when you die, no matter how you do die, your consciousness returns partially and melds with another version of you at the moment of your greatest regret. And you sort of have this strange deja, like you, you, you sort of carry on knowledge, but you don't necessarily, like it's sort of Groundhog's Day, but there is a chance that you will be able to retain some of that memory of that moment. Like, mm-hmm. you get little... Like, it is a maybe really... Maybe in Montauk. <laughs> yeah, maybe in Montauk. It is a very interesting actualization of similar themes in, in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless mm-hmm. Mind, which we also saw at Alamo Draft House in 35mm. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, yo. uh, I'm going to be blitz out of my mind. <laughs> So just alcohol poisoning um, over here. <laughs> but yeah, so like I think that the true elevator pitch, like the the writers in a room together elevator pitch to themselves is like, dude, what if when you died, you went back to the thing that you fucked up the most and have always regretted and possibly have a chance to change that in some way, right? I, I guess the reason that, doesn't feel like the elevator pitch to me beyond the fact that it's really only in like the last 10 minutes of this film that that becomes a literal truth. Like until that moment, it's mostly about reliving moments of your life. And in that case, it's very much like the life flashing before your eyes interpretation of death, which is like 
something that has definitely been explored before. And to me, that was like a logical conclusion from the idea of the afterlife if you didn't believe in like a heaven or a hell. Well, but that's the thing is what, what this film, I mean, fuck, I, I really want to relate it to another film that I really, really liked. But it would be a huge spoiler for that film. Mm-hmm. And I can't even say if you haven't seen X film, <laughs> skip forward this minute because it would be a spoiler in itself. Let's just say there's another film where there, there is a piece of knowledge that nobody believes and by the end of the film, that knowledge is actualized in some sense. Um, I assume you guys probably know it's a film. Just, no, just I, I understand. It stars Spoilers. one of the people in a movie we talked about already. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but anyways, it's... Um, Mark Duplass. It stars Mark Duplass. <laughs> yeah, it stars Mark Duplass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, where was I going with this? Um Oh, baghead, obviously. M- movies with uh, actresses you find attractive. <laughs> Mark Duplass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, right. <laughs> anyway. End of story. Yeah, Mic drop. <laughs> um, but anyways, now, now I'm like three holes backwards now in this red hole. Um, what I was trying to say. <laughs> That's my favorite position, by the way. <laughs> three holes backwards. That's also, they're playing Coachella, too. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um Yes, uh, <laughs> you totally derailed me. Um, yeah. So, so what, what I was saying is, yeah. So what, where I thought this story was going is, is is sort of this. The father thinks what he saw is your consciousness passing on to something afterwards, mm-hmm. and what we sort of start to put together is that no, what you're actually seeing is this moment of time that you regret, a life flashing before your eyes kind of moment, um, and you're kind of watching uh, the disbelieving Jason Siegel trying to prove that. And what you get is that they were wrong. It's not technically an afterlife. It's this sort of like transition to alternate timeline type of weird type of things, Mm. whether it's time travel or it's interdimensional or it's other copies of yourself that may not have made the same mistake. It's, It's just a really interesting idea of that happening right because you could go back fix a problem make another mistake and then when you die you go back to like there there's I, there's just a lot of things there to deal with and how this mm-hmm. progression works and ultimately i think my only problem with it is in his final pass through that boat where rooney mar is there and she's she's talking to him like in a very much way like house in I the mean, episode I mean, she spoiler for harry potter but she's dumbledore <laughs> at the end of Harry Potter, basically. Anyway, uh, the person sitting and just calmly explaining what this afterlife thing is. Yeah, yeah, but like, like I, an exposition I, dump for a few minutes. I, I'm more referencing like there's the episode of House with the bus crash. Yeah, and he's like taking the drugs. House's head part one and two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in that very nice, Steven. good episode. <laughs> it's a great episode, but yeah, in that episode, like everything is taking place inside of his head while he's on these drugs, trying to remember the moments on the bus, right? And I think that like that sort of doesn't work in this context because I feel like Rooney Mara's character would not have this knowledge. And though that isn't actually, if he is sending his consciousness back, she would, her, she's not a character inside his mind. That's a literal thing that he's living through. And I don't buy her. Like that's my biggest problem with the film is her self-actualizing the his 
memory of the moment, like I, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It does work in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where like he, the memory is being warped as it's being deleted, and none of that stuff actually happened like that because it doesn't involve time travel. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I, I feel like in this story, that was kind of my biggest problem. Like, and I forgave the, the fact that like nobody would kill themselves because some guy said, I, I detected brainwaves after you die. <laughs> like, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forgave that. I was like, okay, logical jump. We'll just, whatever. Um, but that was my biggest issue. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the premise of returning to this moment and potentially returning to that moment in this purgatory loop until you can either solve it or move on or stop regretting it. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get that. I, I would just say, like, okay, okay so the, the very literal sense in which one goes back and relives their life is, like, kind of new here, but I feel like it's so not fleshed out that I don't, I don't take a whole lot of stock in that. And then when you get back to the the idea of going back and changing your life as like a form of afterlife, then if I can play like the Kevin Bacon game, that episode of House, Robert Sean Leonard in Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams, What Dreams May Come, like the one of the like definitive overly romanticized afterlife movies, that is clearly like an idea fleshed out in all of these things is this idea of like the afterlife as being an extension of your former life and you trying to go back and like rectify or change but, but that's the, the things that you most regret about it. Like to me, that was not that wasn't a new emotion. And it, it was played up as it was going to be this like giant reveal that like they kept giving you more than a few breadcrumbs, but they kept like building up to it, building up to it. And for me, it was not a it was not a satisfying reveal. Like I liked the ideas about it, but it was. I wanted that to happen like halfway through the movie so they could really delve into like the trippy stuff. But 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 here but here's why I love it is because like if I can also weird machine with shit over your head the OA Brit Marling another earth. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the themes of another earth is if there was suddenly this other earth that was ex- exactly like us, right? Like they have the same president they appeared at the same time as us. So we appeared in their system at the same time as they appeared in us. They're reaching out to us, having contact. I've made horrible mistakes in my life. I wonder if the version of me over there made that same mistake. What this film premises is that this film, the, re- the reason why I think the actuality of what happens when you die in this narrative is not the same as there being an afterlife is because there is no evidence that you persist after death. It's almost like a, to compare it to another film, it's almost like a, a Edge of Tomorrow type of thing where the consciousness of you is pushed back through time, through dimensions to the version of you that is about to make that same mistake. And because like it'd be one thing if you die and one time you go back and you experience this one moment of regret. Yolt. And you have a chance, yolt, and you have a chance to do it. It's not yolt, it's... Yoli, right? Eternally, right? You, you essentially have like he, like uh, Angelina Yoli. <laughs> Angelina Yoli. Um, God damn it, dude! Just sideline me constantly. Um, basically, what what it's doing is that like it's not like there's purgatory and then the afterlife. It's just your consciousness potentially being transferred across some sort of boundary to a you that hasn't made that mistake yet. And 
there's no evidence that and everything works out happily, you're in heaven now or you're in hell now or you're in reborn again on the planet. It's simply that the knowledge of this event that was so significant is passed back to you and and eventually maybe it'll build up enough to change something and then you'll go on that version of you will go on. It, there was something more. And than if like, only there were like a whole religion devoted to this idea. <laughs> I, I, I just think it's really, really interesting yeah. because it, it still doesn't posit a true afterlife. It just posits a, a, there's some level of like everything that has happened will have happened. Like there's, there's an, like not predestination, but just like things always work out the it's way the they infinite do. Infinite recurrence. Yeah. Yeah. Idea, it's just, yeah. there, there's, there's something really interesting about it, and I think the film it, it uses so much exposition, but the characters can only give the exposition that they've they've witnessed, and we get more to the world than any character understands during their time in the narrative, and that mm-hmm. is what is interesting. Is like this film does leave things for you to question um, in a good way as well as in a bad way that y- the filmmakers can't even have an opinion on because if this story was a true story nobody not even (laughs) jason siegel has knowledge of what happens after he fixed that loop right Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's just it's just really very very interesting to me right i won't i won't take that away and and (laughs) since since i have been kind of like inadvertently i did not want to be ripping on this movie i just like (laughs) If if we try to delve into the specifics, then, like, I have problems. And those problems didn't, like, really hurt my viewing experience very much at all. It's just, like, if we're going to go down that road, I can go down that road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the, don't, to the don't movie's... Don't go over the road. Don't do it. <laughs> so to the, to the movie's credit, because I want to end on praising it, at least, um, I did think the the way they discover the, the afterlife as, like, reliving your worst moment, the, the visual of these, like, kind of blurry grainy videotapes where you're kind of floating through memory trying to change a pivotal thing i thought that those scenes emotionally worked very well like uh of course robert redford's was we had more backstory for it for you so you had more reason to really see like this desire to go back and yeah yeah. you know prevent your wife from from killing herself uh but even the the suicide victim too i thought the first time that was shown in my mind that was already communicated so well like that's partly why i felt like the film was too much of an exposition dump is i thought that video footage of him being like yelled at in a hospital that already showed so much to me i felt like i didn't need 20 minutes of them learning exactly why he was yelled at in the hospital like that already conveyed it all and i i just wish there had been more moments like that because those i felt like were so strong but 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 for those characters, they need to understand what that scene is. Like we can assume and we kind of get it, but like I don't know. I I I I felt while their knowledge wasn't super interesting, right? That the tale of what was actually happening in that scene wasn't beneficial narratively. It, it the, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It, mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> It's funny that uh, uh, A.A. Dowd on uh, the A.V. Club, he he compared this to a Brit Marling movie, but better, which made me laugh. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. you can um, fucking take that shit back. <laughs> 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 Those are fighting words. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it did have... Uh, it's funny, yeah, I mean, I did think of Flatliners, too. Uh, also with Kevin Bacon, obviously. Um, but yeah, it had those kind of vibes. It's kind of like an... It was kind of like a like an indie better version of Next with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, you take that back. <laughs> Next is great. That was a that was a I, damn classic. I still haven't seen that movie. Um, I can picture him ducking below that tree, falling down a hill, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that movie was uh, pretty bad. But um, yeah, it was kind of like a. It was kind of like a. I mean, I don't. You know, this expression has gotten overused, but it's kind of like a mumblecore version of like a Christopher Nolan movie. Because mm-hmm. um, I felt like the the ending of this movie felt like it could have been scored with the same ending score of Inception, where, uh, you know, he's coming back home and stuff. Uh, I kind of had like that kind of feeling. Um, and it was also like, I mean, the... I didn't have any problems with the the fact they wanted to go this kind of twist ending route, but um, um, it it did get into that whole thing where that I I tried to describe when we were talking about split, but kind of failed, where it didn't have like the M Night ending where like everything just snapped together quickly and you're like, oh, I see it, you got me, M Night. <laughs> um, this one was definitely like a okay, let me think about this, you know. Let me pull these strings together, um, but I mean that was fine. I just I just noticed that that was just something I noticed that it was not one. It was not one of these endings where you're like, oh, makes sense right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like. Um, I mean, to to answer the uh, you know the kind of initial question seriously, like uh, if there was this thing, no, I would not kill myself. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think that, but I did buy the fact that 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 there would be a lot of people killing themselves because um, I don't know. Like I just figured, well, this is obviously in the future. Um, I don't know. You know, people are so dramatic these days. Like I could definitely see a lot of like dumb wiener kids offing themselves because they. <laughs> it, think it is life true is that so like hard. four million in a in a world with seven billion people is not that many. Yeah, well, yeah. I, like, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure. Like, what, what's the population of San Francisco? Just Google I, that shit real know. fast. I bet you it's more than four million. <laughs> uh, the Bay Area is certainly more. San Francisco proper is only one million. Okay. So yeah, it's only four San Franciscos <laughs> that, that <laughs> kill themselves. Yeah, it's like yeah. nothing. <laughs> What's San um, Diego? But yeah, I totally bought that. <laughs> you know, game. this real time <laughs> fact checking. One point four million. Okay. I take it all back. This is horrible. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I bought that, you know. Some yeah. inside humor here. I, that, that's not even like half a Holocaust. All right, what's, what's the seating capacity of all the Alamo draft houses around the United States? Yes. Um, yeah, one, one other comparison I guess I would give this to is to like Terrence Malick movies i feel like this is a movie that tried to have like some grand nature shots like you know the the moment of them on the beach at the end it kind of reminded me of the tree of life um there's there's some malicky vibes and and like it it does a good job like i i'm a sucker for those kind of 
those kind of shots and that did definitely register the emotion in me I'm, I'm not a monster i just didn't i didn't always feel like it earned them i felt like it could have it could have done more to connect the dots but i mean i i guess i was just saying like i i bought the the idea that there'd be people just down to to off themselves even if the <laughs> the the science wasn't all the way there you know he just had this this you know quote discovery of like oh like you know, there's brain, you know, it's leaving the brain waves or whatever. Um, I did like the, the little touches of the, you know, the, like they had the, the suicide counters, like you kind of like those smoking billboards. It was like, look how many people have died. <laughs> um, and, and I like on, like on, I don't know if they were on all of them, but at least on one, there was a closer shot when he's in the hospital. And, um, I think it said like, uh, I think it's it's it had a hashtag. It was like hashtag choose life or something like that. <laughs> um, something like that. I thought Ugh. that was a good. You're gonna go to that hashtag now. Yeah, that was a good touch. I don't remember exactly what uh, what it was, but uh, or your life is better or something like that. Um, but uh, it was interesting that that Robert Redford like got into two separate situations where like people are just down to to shoot somebody. It was like. He's, he's he's a his 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 discovery was creating a lot of volatile reactions, um, and his reaction to it was just kind of like, oh, this is normal. Um, By the way, nobody so, look up hashtag choose life on Twitter. <laughs> is it just a bunch of abortion photos? <laughs> it, it's like the cheesiest abortion anti-abortion memes ever. Uh, is it like is it like those people who like stand outside like the corner of malls with like gro- with like really graphic abortion I, photos? I'm, I'm seeing more like like heartfelt positive ones where it's like babies as angels saying like uh, too many brilliant minds but you know that you know what i'm talking about those people who are like the real holocaust There's oh yeah a holocaust oh. going on now and I you're know. like what the fuck and anyway um i can't remember what i was gonna say else um i don't know i think uh Oh, oh, because you were talking about how, like, the, the meat cute in the beginning on the boat. Um, I, I mean, especially in retrospect, like, I feel like that kind of initial reaction that, that, that you guys had, like, I don't know, it kind of made sense in the fact that, like, wasn't this, like, his umpteenth time, like, doing this, you know? Yeah. Wait, what do you mean so umpteenth was, time? Well, it was like he he had already gone through. They'd this. already met many times before. Yeah, they oh, had yeah, already. Yeah, met. Yeah, yeah. But that's J- like J- just I... yet another comparison to Eternal Sunshine, right? Like the moment we see them meet is literally their second time meeting, not their first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't for... know. Like <laughs> Eternal Sunshine, and they, and they also both end with like two people standing on the beach at the end in a vaguely memory sense. Yeah, like you look familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't get the sense that there were, you know, he was ripping off. I mean, um, you know, definitely not in the sense that like uh, Ghost in the Shell was this like, oh, you know, someone likes Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will also say though that in a film that uses somebody actually speaking the lines, uh, the truth should be definitive, not overwhelming. I'm pretty sure that the proof that there's an afterlife in this film is not even overwhelming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's 
we detected brainwaves. And I think that somebody could publish a paper, like on April Fool's Day, somebody could have published a paper that is like the scientific version of whatever Robert Redford's character did. And nobody would overreact. They would just be like, well, pff, we're going to debunk this, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's no conversation of like, every scientist on the planet did it and it's pretty much overwhelming. It was just like, oh, brainwaves after you die, which apparently also a previously dead body exhibits the same brainwaves, uh, which was the other big problem I had. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> should, should we wrap this up then? Yeah. We can we can end it with one one reading from the scripture of hashtag choose life. <laughs> Ahem. Jennifer Lawrence wants to sell you a seven hundred dollar feminist T-shirt. You can do better. Not today, Satan. Hashtag choose life. Wow. And that on, doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and on that note, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week so they can they can uh, at mention you in choose life tweets. Yeah. Where can they do that? Uh, you can do that at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller, sdavidmiller.com, or you can meet me in Montauk. <laughs> Carson Patrick. I I am uh, not to be found. Uh, definitely not in theaters that serve smelly foods and alcoholic beverages <laughs> because uh, that's distracting. Well, one day, Carson Patrick, when you die... You'll go back to that decision to not go to an Alamo draft house, <laughs> and you'll relive it. You'll just for... keep making the same decision, though. Yeah. You're that stubborn. Yeah, yeah, forever. I guess, yeah. Until one well, day. I mean, I don't care. I know that I will enjoy it, so. <laughs> Imagine the hazy videotape of, like, Carson eating a breakfast burger at Alamo draft house. Mm. <laughs> that's my hell. That's what, that's a, that's a, I'm stuck in between, like, all these people... You know, eating these smelly foods, and then someone's like <laughs> laughing when there's nothing funny. And Spence there's a bunch is like, of dumb- I got five orders of deviled eggs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it'll it's gonna it'll happen tomorrow night when you guys go see your uh, your your free screening or whatever. Free it's five. gonna happen. Yeah. Someone's gonna order smelly food. Free screening. Be on the lookout five. for when someone in the movie says something that isn't that funny, but someone over over laughs, and then. Um, that yeah. happened weirdly at my Moonlight pre-screening back when I saw it, but that's the only time I've seen it. <laughs> pre-screening, it was, it was so like, just during the the beginning. Because it, it was like a, it was a very white crowd, and like Moonlight is not a very funny movie. Um, but <laughs> no. there was like there was a scene when the was it when the young kids are tickle fighting? No, no, no. It's when the the kid is talking is sitting at the dinner table uh, with the I'm forgetting all the characters' names with the drug dealer character and his girlfriend yeah. or wife. Um, mm. And she just says something like, "At my table, you talk." Like she just says something like that, and the audience was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Like they were trying so hard to be laughing." Like, yeah. oh man, <laughs> look at how these black people relate to each other. It's so charming. Look how woke we are. <laughs> woke, uh. woke, 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 woke. <laughs> <laughs> the, the woke guffaw. Yeah, Yikes. it totally is. Well, if people want to find me, they can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. 
If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on the site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to The Discovery. Do Netflix original films have official soundtracks? I guess you're about to find out. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we will find out. I did not do my research. Um, but one day I'll die and I'll go back to this moment and I will have already figured out. In the yeah. credits, it did say that one of the songs was composed and performed by Jesse Plemons. So huh? you can oh, yeah, grab that one. He walks around when he's like doing his right before mass or whatever yeah. is going on in there. Did he gain um, a ton of weight since Breaking Bad, by the way? Uh, he, I feel like, uh, no, because in Fargo he had put on some weight too. Okay. I don't know when this was filmed. Um, but anyways, maybe he's also eating at the Alamo Fat House. <laughs> I, I think he is, dude. You know, you know what would make it even worse if the if they combine the Fat House with one of those jungle gym theaters, then it would be like, ooh, that would be the ultimate hell. Yes. Yeah. At least you could burn off those carbs. <laughs> no, that's true. Just All right. Dumb wieners running around. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for having me. What's that you, Carson? You're, you're very welcome. <laughs> and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're still here, we will see you uh, next time.